Stand by for a start. Gates crash, and they're racing in the Melbourne Cup. A pretty good line. G'day, I'm Corey Brown. Over the next eight weeks, I'm going to be chatting to some of the best trainers and jockeys in the world. They've all played a part in Australia's greatest horse race, the Melbourne Cup. That first Tuesday in November, when all eyes head to Flemington to see all 24 horses and jockeys take on the 3,200 metres. It's been run 160 times, and last year was a first. It was run without a crowd. What a ride! What a win! I've come second twice, I've come third twice, and I've also fallen in the race. Either way, it's an absolute honour to ride in the Lexus Melbourne Cup and to stand up and listen to that national anthem. It's like competing for your country. On today's podcast, we've got Jamie Lovett, the world-famous Australian bloodstock manager. How are you, mate? Good, Brown. How yourself? Yeah, really good. Thanks, bud. How's things been? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Just getting ready for the spring. How's the luck been? Many runners? Mate, we've been a bit quiet, actually. We've, sort of, we've got a lot of horses that um, we got here, uh, well, the international horses we got here at the end of last year, they're just sort of going through their grades. We might have a couple running in the Hotham, which would sort of Obviously, it's your last chance to get into the big dance, but a couple there, but yeah, probably down on numbers, to be fair. Yeah, tell me, Jamie, how did it all start? Like, obviously, like your, your background into racing, how, how did you get involved? Oh, look, man, it's something of, I can't remember not doing it, you know, something that I, uh, both my grandfathers had interests in the game, um, and I've sort of always been around, uh, well, one side of the family was more harness racing, so I sort of used to tag along up to the... Um, the stables and that as a, as a real young fella and then as I got sort of teenage years I was well, never far from uh, Broadmeadow Racecourse and obviously there's long history there with, with Max when he was alive and, and Fred today so um, it's just been something I don't ever remember not being around them you know. And what about Australia's bloodstock how did it all come about like who, who banged heads and got, got Australian bloodstock going? Look it was something early days uh, Luke and I well, I didn't know Luke Murrell um and I think we we're doing very similar things, you know. I was sort of at the stage then where I was trying to just get a quid, and, and we were trading quite a few horses. Um, at the time, it was more well for me. It was more Singapore, getting a few. Yeah, obviously, depending on what level they were at, um, Malaysia, Singapore, those sorts of places. And we were, I guess, we just kept butting heads a bit. And, I, and as you know, in the the trade game, um, there's only X amount of buyers. And at the time, I had a couple of good guys I was buying uh, sorry selling in into those places and um, I guess yeah we just sort of found well but so I sort of made contact with him and said mate we're going to cut each other straight in we need to get on the same page and <laughs> um, and, and look that was very early days where we were just trading a few horses and then um, funny enough which is relevant to your um, your podcast Brownie was we I sort of said you know what do you want to do with this where do you see it you know I've got some goals and aspirations I'd like to do is I think it could be a business but there's obviously some framework we'd need to work with and um, you know we'll basically but what's the end game we both love to sort of try and get us to win a Melbourne Cup so that was sort of just very loosely um, was the 
Yeah, it was sort of the, the time. That was the the end game, but it just evolved, mate. It was just something that there was never any real. You know, we're not we're not the brightest place in the world. There was never any real uh, ten year business plan. It just evolved, and um, fortunately, we had yeah. a bit of luck early. And and you know, we've been very lucky over the years, mate. We've just got a very good loyal ownership base. You know, and like with any, they're yeah. they. You've got to have a, get results, and it's a results-driven industry. But we're very fortunate that we're able to hit the target a few times, and, and it wasn't just racing horses. Like we, we actually traded a few uh, Germanys where we we had a bit of luck early, and we bought quite a few. Well, well yeah. we bought a few fillies. They weren't all well-bred, but we identified them as um, fillies that we thought could go through their grades. And I mean, I look back now, and I guess we we sort of we. We're very fortunate in that we we won two German Oaks and and we traded those both to Katsumi um, Yoshida. So when we bought some people along for the ride and financially it was a windfall for all of us. And um, I think that really helped us with that loyalty with the guys. They sort of backed our judgment early days, and um, most of those guys are still with us today. Funny you should mention Germany. Um, good, so seven or eight years ago, I went over and spent a little bit of time with Christophe uh, Lemaire after he won the Melbourne Cup on Dunedin. And he told me, he said, for the next half a dozen years, he said, all the good horses, he said, I can guarantee will come out of Germany. And he wasn't far wrong. Like, there was, there was plenty of names that come out of Germany. On going to, like, the European areas to source horses, is it your is it your homework or do you have guys looking after that for you over there? Look, early days, um, look, it sounds quite um, – it's quite backward the way we started off over there. I mean, we, we actually – now we've got a database and we know that, well, to use Germany's example, we know that form inside out and it's not that hard there now. Unfortunately, Germany, I mean, they only breed 800 foals now. It's really in behind their industry, which is, um, it's quite sad. And, and look, I, I know their bloodlines are some of the best in the world and tapping into what I mentioned earlier, Katsumi Yoshida, I mean, back to Dane Dream and the mares that he's purchased out of Germany that have, the, the, the two mares that I sold to Katsumi have both produced, one's produced a group one horse. I mean, they go to deep impact and early and some of the best sayings in the world, but it's no coincidence. And I'm at the horse, Brandon, you rode for us, Lucas Granick. Like he, he was one of the toughest horses I've ever ridden, as you know, like the dramas that he went through, like after Caulfield and then he went to Melbourne Cup. Like he, it was just for him to finish third, um, that was amazing feat in itself after what he'd gone through, like and basically having his foot shoelaced on with a bloody wire string and a false foot over it. So amazingly tough horses. Well, let's go to the Melbourne Cup. I mean, what a thrill just to have a runner in the race. Um, obviously, you said it was your end goal, but you got you got your end goal quite early, like in a in a sort of like a a partnership or whatever it is that you've put together, but. That must have been a massive like thrill just to even get to the cup and then to come out and win it with perfectionists like it, huge. Oh, look, I mean, it, it was something that, um, and I guess like anything, you you, you have your goal and you, and you like to think that you can achieve it, but the reality is that the chances of getting a horse good enough to to be competitive if you do make the field. I mean, one thing early we we never had that. Um, you know, without uh, take ego out, it was never. A, I just didn't want to just have a runner. I mean, we wanted to get a horse that we thought would win the race. So, you know, it was all, you know, all lovely to have a horse and and be part of the the, the Melbourne Cup. But really, it's like what are you game is that no good getting to the grand final? You can't win. I mean, you're there to win the game. And- 
for us, it was a case of just trying to get the right horses. And, and look, we touched on Lucas Cranick. I mean, um, he ran a terrific race in the Caulfield Cup. And we, we went into that Melbourne Cup th- th- thinking that if we, if we didn't have all the things that went wrong, that he, he, he was a live host. And again, you've touched on a brand, the fact that he was good enough to run thirds, another story again. But, um, and then, yeah, it, obviously that was um, a few years later, Protectionist uh, was a horse, ironically, that we'd identified very early. He'd come through the, um, the three-year-old crop. We tried to buy into the horse then. And I think that was very much as far as relationship building at the time. We sort of got a good, um, uh, we had a good rapport with the owner of Breeder, um, Christoph Bergler, and he'd sort of give us a commitment that he wouldn't sell us the horse after the, his three-year-old season, but he said, if I ever do, um, we'll yeah, we'll get a crack and whether we can make it work. And uh, I saw, I still remember the night vividly on the on the telephone talking to Christoph in the early hours. So I was in the end, I was only pleading with him. I said, I "Guarantee you bring this horse. He's he's the horse that can win a Melbourne Cup." And I, without him, none. I'd spat Andreas at length and and just to show that I was on the right page. And he said, "If you can talk him into coming," um, he said, "Absolutely, he's the right horse." And I've never been so confident about a horse. It sounds crazy, but. Even um, I remember the call of the card, and I'm not a big punter, but we we had a couple of good bets going, and it was it was like it was just a we're sitting in the in the crown there at the call of the card, and we had connections with us and, and media and that, and I walked out of there, and I, I was like I was tipping the horse to everyone, like it was in a maiden at Tari. Like I walked out thinking I'm either going to look like a fool here, or yeah, we'll be front page. Yeah, but it was it was just, an, and Luke, my partner, I mean, he does his form and. He does a bit of a tipping site, and he was declaring him again like he's. And I, I just, I just still remember the sitting back thinking, "We're going to look like fool." <laughs> but no, it was just one of those, you just well, you know, mate, when you know you got the right horse, um, it's a different type of confidence. You know, yet a lot of races you go in hopeful, and you know that a lot of things have to go right for you to even run into the money and and get a check. But when you got a horse, that, and he was, he's a. He was a, a different sort of horse than what we had. Um, he's a genuine staying horse, and. Um, yeah, it was funny like, doing form into that race, particularly Brownie. It was it was always going to be a brutally run type of race. And he needed that. And um, even though I remember talking to Ryan prior to the race and everything sort of panned out exactly how we'd sort of envisaged the race to be run. Um, it, it, was, it wasn't a hard one to map because of the speed in the race. and But everything just fell into place. Tell me, after you won with Perfectionist, you're the owners, you know, that want to purchase horses like that or get involved in horses like that, was there like a a wave of them coming for you for the Australian bloodstock team? Oh, look, I've been asked that many times with regard to the Melbourne Cup. I mean, it's something that you can't... any race. I mean, you guys have been competitive in like all races, like even like Brave Smash, the Manicardo, like... Great win, but I'm just saying, like, the, the Australian bloodstock has become so strong the last, I would say, half a dozen years. It's, it's, but you know, oh, people will be, you know, knocking at the door trying to get in, wouldn't they? Yeah, look, it was, I definitely say it was from a business perspective, it, it was, you know, life changing. It was the race that, I guess, from a credibility aspect too. I mean, syndication in Australia, I think we lead the way. Um, and they're very envious of what we've got here, not only prize money, but participation here in Australia, Brownie. I mean, I think just being the first syndicator to, to put a group together to buy a horse to win a Melbourne Cup, I mean, it certainly was something that um, it was, it changed a lot, of, a lot of things. I mean, look, it took us to another level from a business point of view, mate. I mean, we, you know, Kelly, my wife, and Sharon, Luke's, Luke's wife, basically they were the office, you know, we had two 
Uh, Luke and I running around. Yeah, I, I noticed she had to set up the office for you to get on screen today. <laughs> oh, no, that's not one of my stronger points, mate. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it enabled us to grow the business. And yeah, a couple of years after that, we, we bought the farm and, and we changed our model completely where we we're pre training and we, we sort of got bigger. Our numbers, you know, we're, we had 100 odd horses in training. So it enables to keep, you know, spell it our place and, you know, got is there now it just changed the whole and enabled us to do that and I think the credibility angle you know to be able to to source one buy one yeah travel a horse around the world there's so many factors in and I'm a big supporter of the you know the internet being an international race I I love the idea of competing against the best trainers best jockeys you know just for me that that's always been the appeal to me I mean when RVL started to grow the Melbourne Cup and make it an international event that was as much as the theatre of it. You know, you're taking on the best of the best and, you know, watching you blokes ride against the, the Ryan Moores and the Jamie Spencer and the Canaans. Of the, I mean, for me, that's, you know, it takes you out of the cocoon and it puts you into the world stage. And I, I love I travelling abroad, mate. I loved, I haven't been a Royal Ascot. I've always, I'm, not, I'm not going there until I've got a horse good enough to be competitive. You know, I've got to always have your little goals and, you know, we We've won Group One races in Europe, and it's a buzz, America, and all these things. But it's just competing against the best, and you're good enough to to you know, get a result, then you know you've really you've achieved something. Right, uh, you said you're good at your form, mate. We're less than two weeks out from the cup. What are you oh, thinking? Obviously, um, the boom horse, Peter Murphy's horse. Oh, incentivised, mate. He's win down there on the weekend. I spoke to Brett after, and I actually I've spoken spoken to Brett a lot over the last sort of month about the horse. And um, I wasn't that impressed with his first win down there, but his win down there in the Caulfield Cup on the weekend just, just blew me away. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit like you. I mean, I think facing the breeze, I think at the half mile he was still adding... Oh, thousand metre mark yeah, popped out and let him roll up. Had that away and he was working. And uh, I just thought he'd pop at the turn the other day. I thought there's surely something will come off his back. So he's obviously, you know, he's gone to another level, albeit 57, um, you know, it's it's... He's going to have to be a, what we think he probably is. He's going to have to be every bit of that to carry 57 and win a Melbourne Cup. Um, likewise, Andrew Balding's horse, that, that former Stradivarius in Europe. Um, you know, when, when you're looking at these races, I always look at our horses. I think, what would they start if this race was a Goodwood or Royal Ascot? And to be fair, um, Balding's horse would start very tight in the market and incentivise that bet your price. So all things being equal, I think... He's going to have to be every bit of what we think he is, but I, I'd, I'd still probably lean towards um, Spanish Mission if I was if I was tipping it. That's just that's world class form. That's Stradivarius form at a stand. You touched on the property. How, how many staff and how big is the property up there? How many horses you got? Oh, on? Look, we've only got um, eighty odd acres, so it's it just enables us to um, obviously spell down there when we're buying yearlings. We bring them home; they get broke in there. And it's more. I find the the best part about it, it's the whole communi- the communication with your owners. Um, we sort of lost our way a little bit where we, you know, we had forty odd horses in Victoria, um, and predominantly. I think we probably at the time had 80 odd here with with um, you know Chris Lee's and, and trainers in New South Wales, and when they were scattered everywhere, it's very hard to give updates and, and know what's going on. Particularly the young horses, you break them in, and and that's what people just want to know where their horse is at. So that was a lot of the motivation, um, and then obviously it was just you know, being able to um, to pre-train them and get them ready, and it just 
it just made life a lot simpler rather than have horses scattered. That's one thing I found. They'd go off to Melbourne, there'd be 15 different pre-trainers or spellers. You, where they were. you just couldn't. And, and it, just, it didn't work for us, but this enabled us to do that. Are you buying younger horses as well here in Australia or do you just source sort of like, I know I know you source older horses um, like from overseas, but are you going to the sales and buying younger horses, thinking of like two-year-olds coming through? Oh, look, we... Um, I'd say more the last probably four years, um, you know, like both Magic Millions and Inglis, we, we one particular year, I think two years ago, we sort of nearly bought 40 yearlings. So we're sort of, we're having a good crack with the horses coming through. Um, obviously, you've got to have those younger ones because, yeah, you've always got to pick it in the lottery if you've got an un- Yeah, well, you've got an unraced too, right? You've always got a chance you've got a good one. So, well, look, we're... We've um, built our brand, I guess, buying those uh, European imported horses, but certainly, yeah, prize money in Australia is just so good. So the opportunities to to buy into the yearling market, and then still, like we've got Tattersall's sale starts next weekend in um, in the UK. So, yeah, any places where you'd like to race horses, mate, that you haven't yet? Um, I wouldn't say no, not really. I mean, we've been very fortunate, as I said earlier. Like, um, obviously, the UK, it's it's true. Prize money doesn't allow it to be sustainable over there. We have tried. Um, we had sort of one stage we had six or seven over there, but really unless you're trading them, it's, you know, you can win, you can win three races and still can't break even. So it, it's, I don't know how they do it. It's it's just not sustainable. But I love having horses in Germany. Germany's a place we're very fond of and we, as a, we built good friendships over there, um, spending time there. And it's, again, the prize money is not great, but it's, beautiful parts of the world and it's just a good place to to race horses the the button button yearling sales are, is a must it'd be one it'd be a good one for you mate i think you'd enjoy it yeah <laughs> tell me um what about this race the everest oh well i think it's all been said it's just it's it's amazing it's uh, i still i still think back early when it was floated um i, I remember the, the the talk of the whole concept and we just financially didn't have this the 600 of the well, Time it was, um, I think you had to commit to one point two or whatever it was. I'm thinking this. I, I really believe that it would work. One third of land is driving it, which is a, a pretty good barometer of success. <laughs> um, but to think where it is today and and the way they talk, it, oh, the thing that gets me and you'd identify with this, Corey, is that the way that they talk about it in Europe and and in the UK now, and it's a sprint race. You know, look, it's a meter race, and yet they all talk about it. It's just, it's, it's just on the crest of a wave. It's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger, isn't it? Yeah. No. Nah, look, I mean, obviously, we hadn't had crowds on the course for a long while here in Sydney or Melbourne, but um, there on Saturday, like even at nine o'clock in the morning when I walked on course, obviously, be it no crowd, that you could just tell there was a buzz. Like it was just, it was mad. One to get the crowd back, but just the way they. The feeling about it was just unreal, and it's only going to get bigger and bigger every year. It is, and I still I, I remember that first um, the first Everest. I, I there was only forty odd thousand, but they fit in around me. But it was anything I could compare to being at Flemington on on Cup Day. In the noise, and um, we actually bought Jamie Spencer over. He rode Brave Smash for us in the first, Everest and um, I think he was a bit skeptical, you know, sprint race. But even after it having a beer with him, he could not believe it. The noise. You know, it was just a, it's just that really um, atmosphere that you want to be part of. It's Nature Strip in front of Eduardo. The Seek Legends rattling home. Nature Strip in front of Eduardo. Nature-
just drift, kept going and won it. Mars Crusaders jumping out of the ground, just missed. Nature Strip clings on. He's king of the mountain this time. Nature Strip from the fast finishing Mars Crusader and Eduardo. Tell me, after you won the cup, were there any crazy stories or anything? <laughs> I treated it like a, a mad Monday after a footy grand final. <laughs> I probably was still a little bit wet behind the ears to, the, you know, the media commitments and those sorts of things. I was turning up from pale and uh, hadn't been to bed. But oh, look, it was just an unforgettable week, you know. For us, it wasn't. It wasn't really a um, uh, look. It was. It was a, a celebration of, of for everyone. But yeah, again, I treated it like, well, we've got there. Let's we're going to enjoy it. So. But it's like everything, yeah, once you've done it, once you want to do it again. So you're sort of after it. We're both Luke and I sitting down thinking, you know, I want to do this again, then win another one. Yeah, no, it's you walk away from there a bit fuzzy, like it's um I mean every spring carnival, but when you walk away with there with the chocolates, it's um it's something to remember for sure. Yeah, it's just certainly unforgettable and, and again it's um it's like everything, you sort of when you reflect on it, uh, you know, you're lucky enough. You you won one, then you got to win another one. You you, you want to do it again to, to get that feeling again. No, it's some sort of race. Uh, I want to say thanks, Jamie. Um, it's been great, mate. You've been a great um, introduction to racing, and I, again, I love how you support all racing all around. So thanks for having me on, mate. Pleasure, Brandy. Cheers, mate. <laughs>